Hey everyone, thanks for joining us at Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor and I'm one of the pastors here. Today we're wrapping up our three-part series called Me and My Big Mouth. Because our words, as we learned last week, have power. We need to use them, as we're going to learn today, to build people up, not break them down. So stick around to learn more. Yeah, we've all imagined doing that, haven't we? Um, some of you have done that. If so, I'd love to hear about it after the service because uh, that would have been pretty uh, amusing uh, to, to, to watch. Um, but the problem with that is if you've been with us through the last uh, two weeks of this series, it essentially um, forgets, foregoes everything that we have been talking about and we'll be talking about today as we wrap up this series. Now, before I get into this too far, um, I was reading a book this week, and it's a very interesting book, um, and it's by a guy named Chris Voss, and it's called Never Split the Difference. And Chris, um, if you've read the book, uh, you know, was a lead negotiator, uh, lead hostage, international hostage negotiator for the FBI, okay? And his book is on communication and on negotiation, especially high-stakes situations. And he said something so profound and contrary to what I think is our norm when we speak um, that I had to share it because it underlines everything that we have been talking about so far. And in this, in this, um, in this book, he, he asked this question. He gets this point. He asked this question, which was a really good question. He said, in any conversation, okay, just think about that, any conversation, not even just a neg negotiation with terrorists, like he, like he is, uh, was telling stories about um, any conversation, he says, who has control in the conversation? Now, we think it's the person who's speaking, but as you probably already guessed by the screen, okay, it's the listener. And then what I love is he adds, of course, as if this is common knowledge, that we should all know this. And now, after reading the book, I'm thoroughly convinced that he's right, but you see, we're taught something completely different. We think the speaker dictates where the conversation goes and is really in control. But after negotiating with terrorists and CEOs and just people in everyday life, he shows again and again and again the person who actually dictates where the conversation goes is the listener. Of course. Now, if you have been with us the last two weeks, this should not surprise you because... Um, we have covered um, uh, the, the writings of a guy who lived 2,000 years before the FBI even existed, and his name um, was James, and he was the brother of Jesus. Kind of a tall feat to be the brother of Jesus. And even more interesting is, you know, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the Savior of the world? I mean, especially the brother that you don't like. And yet, James believed and wrote as much that he believed that Jesus, his brother, his half-brother, was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, which is pretty profound. And when James is talking about all this, he gives us, he addresses an important thing when it comes to our speech. And we learned this in week one, we repeated it the week, uh, last week, and we're going to repeat it again today. It's this phrase right here, that we should be, when we um, are in a conversation, when we're in an interaction, we should be quick to listen 
and slow to speak. Yeah, and some of you are even saying it with us. And, and that's great because we even put hand motions with this, if you remember, and we can all practice it together. So if you've been with us and you know the hand motions, we, we start like this. When we want to talk, when we have something to say, when we're angry, when we want to let people know what's up, we start the conversation like this, do we not? Because we just have to say something. But James says, no, 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 no. You need to be quick to listen. You need to open yourself up to hearing the other person. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. And then you need to follow up when you do talk with questions. At least five of them is what we said. And he reminds us then, as he goes on, he reminds us how powerful our words are, and that's why he's advocating this approach to any conversation. Because he, he understood and communicated to us last week that words have enormous power, so much so that before we even speak or say anything, we need to ask ourselves this question of, is what I'm about to say really going to help? Is it really going to help? Is it going to help those who are made in the image of God? In other words, everyone. It's not about you getting your point across, you feeling better about your position or your beliefs, or you getting what you want. It's about what's really going to help someone else. And if you're a Christian, this is where it got really interesting last week. If you're a Christian, James says, you have to pay extra attention to this because if you don't help with your words, if you undermine other people with your words, you make worthless, as in empty, as in no value, the religion, the faith that you profess. If you are a hypocrite, essentially, James is saying, you completely undermine the faith that you profess the man, the Jesus that you say you follow. So very dramatic. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, you can catch up on our website or on our app. But today, we are going to switch to the writings of a guy named Paul. Now, James was really great. And James had a lot of practical things to say. But we're going to hear from Paul today. And Paul is a really interesting guy because when you first read about Paul, if you read through the New Testament, the second half of our, uh, our Bibles, he began as a guy named Saul. And then he experienced a name change. And that was fairly common in those days when you experienced a transformation in your life. You completely changed the direction in your life, which Paul, or at that start, Saul, did. Because Saul, when you get onto the pages, when he steps onto the pages of history and and in our scripture, um, he is a Christian hater. And not the Taylor Swift kind of haters gonna hate. (laughs) Hater, okay? He is the arrest, imprison, and execute Christian hater. That's the type of guy he is. And he admits to it in his own letters, um, like in the one that we're going to read today, but we're not going to read about that. But anyways, he meets Jesus one day, and it changed his life completely so that he went from destroying churches to starting them. And he goes from Saul to Paul, and then he writes letters to all the churches, some of which he started and some of which other people started that he, he writes to, and he writes letters to them all across the Mediterranean Rim. And we're going to read one of those letters today addressing issues that he saw within the churches or that he heard about. Now, some of those letters were preserved over the centuries, in fact, over the millennia, and one of them, Paul addresses you and your big mouth, and me and my big mouth. 
Because as we said at the beginning, he's not, we're not talking about in this series your boss's big mouth or your aunt's big mouth or your in-law's big mouth. We're addressing me and my big mouth. And specifically, Paul is talking to Christians, which some of you are, right? And not, um, not as in Christians, you have to do this, but as in Christians, or excuse me, excuse me, if you're not a Christian, um, you don't have to do this, but you, if you are a Christian, Paul doesn't leave much wiggle room for this. Neither does James. He says, you have to, have to do what I'm about to say. You have to put this into practice, because otherwise it'll undermine every relationship that you have. So in writing to the church in Ephesus, he begins, um, and Ephesus was a city in modern-day Tur- Turkey, um, so you can go there and visit um, if, you, if you really wanted to. And he begins in this way. He says, do not let, as in you are in control of, as in you can let out what you wish to let out. It's your decision. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of whose mouth? Your mouths. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Now, before I dive into this, I don't know about you, but when I read verses like this, especially if you grew up in church, it is so easy just to kind of write this off. You know, to say, hey, thanks, Paul, for that advice. You're probably right. I probably should do that. But if you're honest with yourself, it's a lot easier said than done. Because this sounds like something your mama told you over and over and over again as you were growing up, or maybe your daddy, or your aunt, or your grandma, and especially as a teenager, you probably got told this a couple times or two, all right? And it's so easy for you just to say, that's good, and move on. But this is the part that we really have to focus in on, otherwise we lose the whole premise of Paul's argument. Because it is so easy for all, uh, all of us to fall into the camp of thinking this idea is a little too unreasonable. Because depending on the family that you were raised in, or the friends you hung out with as you were growing up, or the co-workers around you, for you to fit this idea of no unwholesome talk into your life is a little bit unreasonable. Because for you to go to work tomorrow and have conversations and relationships with your coworkers, it might require you to gossip a little bit about the coworkers whom are not there because they've called in sick for like the 20th time. And you're not quite sure why your boss hasn't given them the ax, and you really wish you would because, you know what, it's causing you a lot of inconvenience and a lot of work, and so you, you, know, you just got to gossip about it during work. Or that time when you demeaned someone a little bit. Or in nicer terms, you just spoke poorly of someone else. Right? I can't believe that they would do that. They're they're so short-sighted. Or is that the best idea that they have? Or maybe, you you know, you you get um, really frustrated with goings-on, especially in in our world or in our country today, and you get so frustrated. You just feel like you have to let it out. And to not would be so unreasonable. I mean, you just have to say that the Democrats are so blank. Or the Republicans are just so blank. And to do anything less than that would just be, gosh, unreasonable. I mean, how else do you communicate your frustration without using one or two slightly, maybe not entirely, unwholesome words? And in some of your contexts, you just don't even sugarcoat it right? I mean, you just go to town. Expletives are your friend. In fact, some of you 
string expletives together to make an amazing, incredible show, all right? I don't know about you, but I went to college, and when I was in college, this happened all the time, okay? In fact, there was like bonus points for how creative you could get with your string of expletives. That was college. That's what I learned, at least. I don't know. Okay, but anyways, and this is so important that we recognize that a lot of us tend towards this being unreasonable, but we can't because unwholesome words are so woven into the fabric of our culture, of our society, that we are tempted to not listen to Paul or to kind of half listen to Paul. And he says, you can't do that. And he goes on, or essentially explains it in the phrase that we just looked at. He essentially says um, that that word, that word unwholesome, means um, uh, uh, sapros is what the the Greek word is. Um, If you didn't know, our our Bibles are translations of um, ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. And the Greek word for our English word unwholesome is sapros. And sapros means to be rotting. Rotting. So essentially, it's like, Paul's saying this, do not let any rotting talk come out of your mouth. Now, to make this really practical and applicable, I'm just going to show you a couple pictures of things that are rotting. I thought that would be fun. And by the way, if you go on Google and ever type in rotting, it is, it is interesting, okay? I'm not saying you should do it, but there's a, it, the interesting results, okay? So here we're going to start with an orange, okay? That is disgusting. You th- do what with that? You throw it away. Yes. Okay, we'll keep going. Let's see if you can keep up here. This is a strawberry. I know it's hard to tell because it's fuzzy. What do you do with this? You throw it away. And the next one, rotten tomatoes. Some of them don't even look like tomatoes anymore. And Paul is intentionally using that word because you and I are both sitting there like, I don't want this anywhere near my mouth let alone coming out of my mouth. But Paul says, when you speak unwholesome things, imagine as though this is what is coming out of your mouth. And this is so true because when you speak unwholesome things about someone or around someone or about someone else that's not there to someone, once in a while, and this is hard sometimes, but once in a while you will see a reaction like some of you, I can barely see all of you, but some of you responded to that rotten fruit. Fruit. It was like this. Ew. Okay? It was close your eyes. It was shock. That's how sometimes people respond to your unwholesome words. That's why Paul is using that terminology. Why is it? Come on. Why is it that you speak about people behind their back? So you don't see their faces. Because if you told them what you said behind their back to their face, it would be like you said something that rotten and that disgusting. And I realize we're fairly desensitized to this, that unwholesome thing being spoken uh, over us or about us. But honestly, just watch people's faces, especially if it's someone else speaking unwholesomely about somebody else. Just watch the faces. And I bet you'll pick up on one or two little things that indicate to you that hey, that probably was a little bit rotten. Now, I don't mean to sound like, because I, sometimes I bring this up, I don't mean to sound like I'm, I'm um, bashing on social media, but social media is so new today that sometimes I think we um, don't realize all the implications and the social implications that come along with it. And I think this is a perfect example of this because when you even slightly post 
or share or comment on something that is in any way unwholesome or accusatory or divisive or angry, there are people who see that, who read that, and you will never see their faces because they will never respond to that post. But I guarantee you, on the other side of that screen, they're shaking their heads. They're saying, what was that about? Why are they doing that? For some of them, they're hurt and a little sad for you because they're like, you don't need to be saying that stuff. That is rotten. That is not helping anybody. They're not going to give you a like. They're not going to give you a heart. They're just going to move on. And granted, you may get one or two, but a lot of times that's just from people who are in the same camp as you, believing the same things that you believe and trying to endorse and encourage and kind of be in a little bit of an echo chamber, if you will. And, and Paul is advocating, almost pleading to us, please, please, be quick to listen, slow to speak, ask questions, and do not, do not let, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But, and just as James said, which I love, it's exactly what James says, but only what is helpful. Only what is helpful. For what? Helpful for building others up. Next slide. Building for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That in other words, you need to think about this as you are building a building. In other words, you're building a person through your words. As if your words are the building blocks for their lives. Now, let's be honest. When a building is halfway finished, is it as strong as it could be? No. If you tear down a part of the building, is it as strong as it could be? No, generally not. It is not. So, so Paul is saying, when you get done talking to someone, when they get done reading your posts, hearing your words, or hearing what you said about them to other people, are they, they, are they built up? They are built up, not broken down. Sorry. They are built up. Are they built up? Or did you break them down? Are they stronger or are they weaker? Now, I just have a couple of of, of things that I want to address with, with this idea of building up. The first is sarcasm. Now, I will be the first to admit that I kind of love sarcasm, and I've had issues with sarcasm in the past. Um, I tend to have a slightly dry sense of quirky humor. But regardless, all right, um, sarcasm does not build people up, especially among close, meaningful relationships. So I'm just going to get really blunt here for just a second, okay? And I want to talk to the parents. Because dads, especially dads, sarcasm does not make your sons tougher. It just makes it tougher for you to connect with your sons. Unwholesome words like sarcasm, despite what you think, does not protect them, does not build them up for when other people are sarcastic towards them. It just makes it tougher for you to have a relationship with them. And moms, it goes the same way with you. Sarcasm, conversation, snarky comments, whatever it may be, a little attitude, guess what? That does not make your daughter tougher. It makes it tougher for you to connect to your daughter. That's just the reality of sarcasm, of unwholesome words. 
Criticism. Criticism is another one. Sometimes, for some of us, criticism is like our best friend. Criticism rarely, if ever, builds anyone up. Because in my opinion, we get these two ideas a little bit confused. We get criticism and conversation confused. We get criticism and conversation confused. There's a big difference. Criticism is, I am going to look down on you for your behavior, your decisions, and your beliefs. A conversation is two equals coming together to listen, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, to leverage questions, to empathize and grow together. Big difference. Married people, come on. Engaged people, dating people, anybody in a relationship, if you sow criticism into your relationship, guess what you will reap? Criticism. But Taylor, but Taylor, and this is so easy to go here, but Taylor, if I don't criticize, how will they learn? If, you, if you've ever criticized someone before, you've got to listen up for a second. You've got to listen up. Let me reword this question to what really is happening when you criticize. You're saying, if I don't hurt them, how will they learn? In other words, if I don't cause them discomfort, if I don't cause them pain, if I don't cause them hurt, however, will they be motivated to change? Now, I just want to respond to this idea with, with a little bit of a story and a point. Okay? At least this is the best way I can think about it. I did not... Taylor, did not decide to be a follower of Jesus, learn from Jesus because of his criticism of me. It was because of his love for me that I made that decision. God's love for me, Taylor. In fact, you want to know why you're here today, why you're sitting where you are to some degree today, it isn't because of a baby dedication, though I'm glad you're here. And it isn't because you saw a road sign, though I'm glad you did. And it isn't because someone invited you, though I'm exceptionally glad that you got invited. At its core, the reason that you're here is God's love. Because God's criticism did not compel Stephanie and I to move here to start a church, to raise money to purchase signs and to purchase chairs for you to sit in. Our motivation was the love of God. And that love we so badly wanted to share with all of you. Because all you can take away from criticism is how you're wrong, how you're less than, less valued. Love, on the other hand, love brings compassion and empathy and leads to learning and growth and change. That's what love can do. So Paul says this. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, do not say things that go against God, because God will be grieved. God's essentially sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, why did you say that? 
to my child for whom my son died for. Why did you say that? I am grieved by what you said. I am grieved by how you treated and what you said about the person sitting next to you, the person sitting next to you at work, the person living next to you when you get home, your neighbors. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Instead, get rid of, get rid of, as is do away with, as in take it to the trash today, leave it at the corner so they can take it away, never to be seen again. What are you getting rid of, Paul? You're getting rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of the rotten. Throw it in the trash where it belongs. This is not optional. He did not say get rid of some of. He said get rid of all of. Well then, Paul, but life isn't going to be exciting without a little bit of unwholesomeness. No, it can be really exciting and peaceful and joyful and wonderful. But you've got to get rid of it. Now I understand. For some of you, especially those of us that are a little bit more assertive than others, you might be thinking to yourself, um, that's really good, Taylor. Um, and building people up is, is important. But that too even feels, getting rid of this feels a little bit unreasonable. Because how am I supposed to address that employee of mine who is consistently late to work? Do I just sit them down and say, hey, you know, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I just, I want to thank you for uh, showing up to work. At least eventually thank you. That's all. No, no, no. Paul is not saying getting rid of improvement. Paul is not saying turning a blind eye to what people are doing. Because remember, Paul said you're supposed to build others up as if your words, which James says has so much power, which we all agreed to last week, has immense power. Our words are the building blocks for people's lives and their identities and their purpose, and their confidence. In other words, imagine you are, when you are having a conversation, when you are in a relationship with with someone, you are at a construction site. That your words are so powerful that you have the opportunity to build somebody up versus take them down, which may mean bringing some truth to the table sometimes. But it's not your truth. It's God's truth. In just, in just a minute or two, we're going to have child dedications. And I can't think of one of, I mean, it's a wonderful way to demonstrate this point right here. Parents, you know this. What is child dedication a commitment of? Well, I'll explain it more in just a minute. But it's of parents. It's parents using the tools that they use most. The tool the tool that every parent uses the most to motivate their children to do what is right. And I'm talking, of course, of bribery. Just kidding. No, it's your words. You use your words to guide your children more than anything else. That means sharing with them truth, not your truth, God's truth. And in other times, that means extending grace when grace is needed. And more often than not, for us to step out of 
our normal response, which is to talk, and instead, just listen and ask questions. So that when you walk off that construction site, when you walk away from that situation, you've built others up according to whose needs, their needs. For whose benefit, their benefit. Of those who are listening. Because, and Christians, this is where you've got to really tune in. This is what's applicable most to you. Because this is the motivator. Paul's going to give us the motivator for all that we have alluded to so far today. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak well of other people. Do not speak unwholesome things. Get rid of all of that, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as Christ has done for you, so you should do for others. And then he goes on into chapter 5. He says, follow God's example, therefore. So in other words, we're sitting there, we're trying to figure out, okay, I got this employee, I got this situation, I'm not sure how to, uh, you know, approach this challenging conversation. How, how, do, I, how do I empathize with them? Because I, I really just want to be critical. That's where my heart's kind of going, my mind's kind of going. But instead, we're going to say, hey, what is God's example? What's God's example? Paul tells us. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, there that is again, just as God loved us, just as Christ did for us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant, beautiful, smelling, amazing experience, offering and sacrifice to God. That is how we are to respond. And if you're still sitting there, well, I don't know how God, how God would approach this situation. May I be honest with you, it might require you to pull out that B-I-B-L-E, that spells Bible. And pull that thing out and open it up and read how Jesus, how Christ loved us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just to read it. Read it through because I'm guessing, my bet is, it will give you incredible tools as to how to approach even the most difficult of situations. As you read through there, you can ask yourself, hey, how did Jesus speak in this situation? Well, that's how I'm going to speak. What does love require of me? What did it require of Jesus in this situation? That's what he did. I'm going to do that too. What does God's example of, of love require of me? And you will have, you will have the tools you need to be successful, to build others up, to walk away from the construction site with others stronger than they were when you found them. Just as I said, at the very start of this series, you cannot flip a switch and fix someone else's mouth. But what you can do is work on your own. What you can do is be careful, mindful of what you let out. It is your decision as much as you want to justify it and explain it away as their fault and their decisions is what led you to do what you did. No, it is your decision. Because imagine, I mean, come on, just imagine for a second. Imagine if you walked into work tomorrow and everyone was simply just encouraging to you, to build you up. Do you think you'd have a good day at work? 
I think so. I mean, just imagine if all of our churches, not just in Fuse, but our churches did this. The church in general. Do you think that would change people's perception of Christianity in today's culture? Instead of maybe leaving in droves, they might be invited towards and wonder who this Jesus guy is and what he was all about. I think your words have the power to do that. And I think you know your words have the power to do that. I mean, what if your Facebook, what if your Instagram, what if whatever social texting, typing, whatever interactions you have built people up instead of divided them, demeaned them, talked down to them, led to conversation, not criticism? Imagine just your week this week. If that was the case. Now, I understand this is easier said than done, but as James has said, as Paul has said, if you are a Jesus follower, we must do this. And if you're not, you get the opportunity. You get free advice. You get the opportunity to follow along or not. But my friends, this will define so much of our lives, our churches, our work, our family, our kids, our friends, and so on. So as we conclude, I want to pray, and, and then, we're, then we're going to have a child dedication. But my hope, my prayer, is simply going to be this, that you would have the strength, the courage, and if you don't, you would ask your Heavenly Father to give you the strength and the courage to filter this and instead be quick to listen and slow to speak, to rein in you and my big mouth. All right, let me pray for you, and then we'll uh, get on to the child dedication. So if you bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, this, is, uh, this is easy to write off, to say, well, you know what, I, I got to be accepted at work tomorrow. You know, I got to fit in. I, w- I want friends and relationships. It's easy to just, you know, let it slide, to justify our criticism, to justify our sarcasm. But Lord, my prayer would be, my hope would be, and my invitation to all of us in this room, that our prayer would be to you that you would guide our hearts in a way to love those people around us, care for those people around us, and to speak words into their lives that build them up and do not tear them down. Give us the wisdom, the strength, and everything we need to go through life doing that, and in so doing, reflect, for those of us who follow Jesus, reflect the love of Christ to the rest of the world. In your son Jesus' name, I pray.